You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 155. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. Today's episode is sponsored by Knowable. Knowable.fyi. Get podcast-style audio courses from experts using the promo code MAX to get 20% off. You can learn about startups. You can learn about space exploration, building online communities, all sorts of things at Knowable.fyi. Once again, that's promo code MAX to get 20% off. So, Recently, I was actually going through some old episodes of Max and the Wiz. And for those of you who are familiar with that, that was actually my radio show uh, when I was an undergrad. That was on Yale Radio 1340. I had it from uh, 2004 to 2006. And so I tried to... It's a very different show than this one. I had a very different style back then. But... uh, And and the issues... uh, You know, I talked about current events then too, but the issues were very different. But... One of the common themes on on that show uh, that I would talk about that still stay with me today through the local maximum is kind of my opposition to censorship, or I would say maybe more my skepticism of censorship because it seems that like some level of censorship and moderation is necessary, but it does seem like a lot of problems in the world are either caused by uh, censorship, silencing people, or sometimes it like you know it 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 shows you w- when you see mass censorship it shows you that there's some kind of uh, uh problem inherent in society or in the in the community that that's being censored so it's uh it's it's very interesting uh topic and so nowadays there's been a lot of chatter on the potiverse i know i we've spoken about it the last couple episodes so in in the last few weeks in the Podiverse, the University of Podcasts, uh, these days the talk is all about big tech censorship and what it means and what to do about it. But today I want to approach it from kind of a different angle. I, I, I'm not going to talk, well, I'll talk a little bit about the legal issues. I'll talk uh, a little bit about the technological issues, but I want to talk about something more basic too, um, you know which is like, what do we want in our information diet? Why do I have such an aversion to censorship overall? I want to tell you why I'm skeptical of it, uh, because a lot of people don't get it. Maybe, I mean, some of this might be, you know, some disjointed thoughts of mine. It uh, might not be the perfect treatise on, you know, hey, the history of censorship and and uh, and silencing people and and uh, you know what 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 the common themes are and what the common problems are. But some things that uh, I've thought about, you know, off the top of my head and doing like kind of a self brainstorm over the last couple of days. So um, I want to talk about, you know, obviously it sucks if you're the one who's being censored. I could see why you're against it then, uh, but. What are we actually looking for? Because a, a free-for-all in any forum doesn't seem to work at scale. And so there are all types of exceptions that need to be made. Sometimes I say, you know, when when we like it, it's called uh, content moderation. When we don't like it, it's called censorship. So when when we say I want a free discussion of ideas, free exchange of ideas, you know, what does that actually mean? It's something to think about. And at the end of this, I basically want to make the case for kind of an open uh Yes, diverse uh, society um, 
you know, and kind of a, a, a open discussion and marketplace of ideas, pluralistic. You know, don't roll your eyes. I know that's not something that's popular these days, uh, but uh, it, it has worked before and it will work again. And that's exactly what I want to promote. And I'll tell you why. And I'm also going to talk a little bit about my expertise and kind of writing algorithms, um, working in machine learning and recommender systems, because, uh, you know, a, a lot of what big tech is doing is just large scale uh, large-scale examples of stuff that, that I did in my career. So before I get into all of that, I just want to tell you about a project that I'm working on. It's called MarsBot for AirPods. For those of you who don't remember, that is the app that we I put out at Foursquare a few months ago, back I think of October of last year. And basically, you put your headphones in, you have to have an iPhone, but you could. You don't have to have AirPods. You could have any headphones you want. You put your headphone. You open. You you uh, you download this app. You put your headphones in, and you walk around your city, and you hear all sorts of sounds and content. Well, I got uh, a couple of comedians, a couple of uh, funny people to uh, write, and just interesting people to build some content for. Manhattan for New York City. So I, you might remember Rob Bernstein. He's been on the show a couple times. Let's see when he was last on the show. I will um, put that. Um, I will put that on the show notes page. That would be. Uh, let's get. I think it's episode one hundred thirty-two. So that's when he was last on the show. I had him do some things. Uh, uh, build some content for it in Manhattan and also comedian uh, Menuhin Hart. He's a, a very funny guy and he he did some funny stuff, but he also did some like, um, you know, just some sort of review type stuff as you walk around the city. So especially if you're in Manhattan, if you are in, uh, you know, if you walk around in, in Greenwich Village or uh, West Village or, you know, kind of South of Union Square in NoHo, uh, they built a lot of content for that, or they, they, they recorded a lot of content for that, and I won't tell you what's in it, but it's it's kind of fun to put this thing in and walk around. So once again, uh, download MarsBot for AirPods and uh, and check that out. Okay, so w what are we here to talk about today? Oh yeah, censorship. Okay, uh, open discussion, all that good stuff. Let's start with Twitter as an example. <laughs> That's Twitter is always a very interesting one. I've covered that on the show quite a bit. They always purported to be for freedom of speech. That's how they marketed themselves. Now, I'm not arguing that they don't have a right to run the company the way they want, but it's really interesting what's going on now. I kind of made the analogy on our locals forum, which you could get. We're having great discussions there uh, at uh, uh, maximum.locals.com. It's still pretty small, but I'm, I'm excited about all the people who are posting and kind of we had a few back and forth. So um, definitely sign up for that. Um, I made the analogy in our locals form. Like what if a library, uh, a private, say a private bookstore opens up in town and you saw advertisements saying, this is a free speech bookstore. We're going to allow everyone to have a say. We're going to allow, you know, um, we're going to have like, you know, books that, uh, you know, maybe have been canceled from other stores. And then a few years later, you come back and you see that they're furiously burning some of their books in the back and kind of shooing certain people out of the store. And so if your only thought is, well, they're a private company, they can do what they want. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, even if I never once set foot in that bookstore, I'd be like, whoa, I have so many questions here. You know, what's going on? Uh, did they ever say, 
you know, we're pivoting our business and model. We're pivoting our business model. We're pivoting our philosophy. We're going to do something very different now than we did before. Or was it that like their original plan went horribly wrong? Either it was unworkable or, or horribly executed. So something really interested obviously happened there. And that's, that's kind of the analogy to Twitter. So let's look at Twitter because uh, they've had some of these problems um, at the beginning. Uh, a few facts that I dug up. In 2012, the UK Twitter general manager said that, uh, declared Twitter the free speech wing of the free speech party. I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> I, I guess that, I guess they're admitting they're a one party system, one party rule, the free speech party. But, uh, you know, nobody can speak against the free speech party. But I think that just means, yeah, generally we're open. We, we support free speech. I, uh, I, it's just kind of a strange, I, I think. I want to say that phrase comes from, you know, someone who said, you know, I'm the Democratic wing of the Democratic Party at one point uh, in maybe years before that in a it probably goes back really even further than that. Uh, But anyway, so back then, the CEO was Dick Costello. In 2015, they brought in Jack Dorsey, who had been CEO like, you know, uh, in the in the kind of early startup days. So he was the incoming CEO in 2015. And he said, uh, he tweeted, uh, Twitter stands for freedom of expression. We stand for speaking truth to power, and we stand for empowering dialogue. So uh, there was an article that came out in uh, EFF.org. Let me see if I could find um, what that is. That's the uh, Electronic Frontier Foundation, and it's entitled, How Twitter CEOs Return could help the company get back to its free expression roots. So it's hard to remember now, but this was back in October 2015, and they were saying, great, uh, you know, Twitter's had some issues with uh, empowering dialogue among its vast and diverse user base for many years. We're bringing about Jack Dorsey, and look at this. Jack Dorsey is going to fix the problem. He is going to get this company back to its free expression roots. And they actually gave five suggestions at the time uh, because they said, you know, Twitter under Dick Costello was losing the free speech battle. And so it was kind of interesting to see how many of those suggestions were actively taken. They suggested encrypting all direct messages in Twitter. And I believe that uh, that didn't happen. Um, They said, you know, stop allowing authoritarian governments to censor messages. I believe Twitter still does that in China in um, in uh, uh, I want to say Turkey, although I know there are some cases like in Uganda where they uh, they uh, either don't allow, actually, I shouldn't even speak because I'm not sure exactly what's going on in Uganda. I think Uganda uh, blocked Twitter, but I think it was because Twitter refused to censor or it was because Twitter was censoring that authoritarian government. I don't know. It was one or the other. So let, let me just drop that because I'm not sure, um, you know. Do they allow harassment? Yeah, they still kind of do. Uh, but that's another thing. Like that, 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 that. Also, if you ha- give, you know, if you build vast, vast systems to uh, allow people to stop harassment, then you're also giving them the same power to, to censor. So it's a very difficult balance there. Uh, look, Twitter has very smart people wor- working there, except for the direct messages being encrypted, which I don't think would be that hard. I don't know why they haven't done it. This is clearly a very difficult thing to do. Uh, so either they wanted to do it and they weren't able to, or they couldn't get it on the roadmap, or maybe they just didn't want to do it. And the main problem, the main suggestion in that article was like, you know, to give control of moderation to the individual users, either 
you know, yes, as a user, you could mute people, you could block people, but you can't, um, you know, you can't choose if, if you want to, uh, you know, that doesn't one at a time doesn't really work that well. If you're looking at like, you know, random articles in Twitter, all of the comments are just going to be trash. You really want to outsource that to someone who's going to filter that for you. And uh, they failed to give control of that to the user. They seem to be just wanting to control themselves. So all of this tells you something about what they were trying to do or what they thought they were trying to do. But it looks like if you have hundreds of millions of people tweeting all day, uh, you know, something happens. You know, you, you, you can't just do and everything goes. You can't just say allow everything. I mean, it, it becomes a bad experience. Like first you get into libel and definition, uh, definition, defamation. And copyright infringement. Maybe these things are illegal. Uh, you know, maybe they're against the law. Um, and so they're things that, you know, even under the well-established free speech law in the United States, they aren't covered. So that's um, that's clearly out. Um, and then you have to deal with things like, you know, uh, uh, pornography and. You know, maybe you could say, hey, you have the right to talk about these things all you want, but certain materials like photos and, and videos are just too much for this informational channels. And that could be a subjective thing, but um, I think you could get that under control. But, you know, what if ex Twitter existed? It's still uh, subjective. It's still based on time and place. So it's very difficult for Twitter to enforce local regulations around the world. Like what if Twitter existed in the year 1900 or the 1950s? There'd be very different standards on you know, what should be allowed in their in their system in terms of that. And then you can get into some like really bad stuff like um, child pornography, which you want to catch fast, remove and then, you know, uh, alert the authorities. Uh, you think that Twitter would be on top of that. But recently there's evidence that they're actually not uh, because there was an article in The New York Post. And I know that The New York Post has kind of a beef with uh, with Twitter right now. So. Um, but I mean, they're not making, they don't make stuff up. So they're not making, making up about this lawsuit. Um, so I, you know, maybe we'll look into this more, but it was about a lawsuit against Twitter saying that they refused to take down child porn, even when the victim identified themselves a as underage and said they didn't want it up. So not that it, it matters whether they wanted it up or not, but it's, it's not, it wasn't a situation where like some high schooler thought it'd be a good idea to share nudes on Twitter. It was really someone uh, actually even younger than that who was manipulated into sending someone these photos and then they were blackmailed and then they had them go up against their will. So that is pretty horrendous. And it's amazing to me that uh, Twitter couldn't be bothered to um, make a policy against that or to do anything about that, especially when, you know, they, they're they deleting thousands and tens of thousands of accounts, uh, no problem, without having to explain themselves very much. So, um, all right, so that's pretty crazy. Uh, maybe you get into, so what other problems do you have when you have unmoderated forums like this. Maybe you get into the problem of, you know, foreign political actors that are committing crimes against humanity, you know, is North Korea on Twitter? Well, individual North Koreans, not so much, maybe a few. Um, but uh, the government is. Uh, in, in 2015, a Republican congressman from Texas uh, called for Twitter to remove some accounts. Uh, they, they wanted to remove uh, Twitter to remove all the accounts from people affiliated with the Islamic State. This was Ted Poe from Texas. And he said, why are American companies and the U.S. government 
allowing social media platforms to be hijacked by terrorists. Well, you know, that doesn't sound good. So now all of a sudden you have to ask, you know, what about state actors? And then you have to ask, like, what is, I mean, nowadays you really have to ask, what is inciting violence? What is the, uh, are we going to have objective standards to that? So you, you kind of see a lot of political propaganda on all sides in on on Twitter and, and all sorts of message boards like mudslinging at opponents and and adversaries all you see this all over the world every political group and if any one of those disses can be taken as potential harm like you know it, it the, you know you called someone a bad name so it could incite someone else to uh you know to to uh, to to harm them in in, 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 in like physically then pretty much no one can say anything anymore. No one can criticize because any criticism can be said, oh, that will like uh, encourage other people to not like the person and then they could, uh, they could do something horrendous. So um, yeah, maybe Twitter, so in terms of just uh, taking down state actors, maybe Twitter was doing it to some extent in 2015, not to the extent that they do it now. Then came the bots. Well, there was always bots, lots and lots of bots. Some of the Twitter bots are actually fun. At uh, Swarming Now is my Twitter bot, which shows... Uh, places that are popular on Foursquare all over the world. I like my bot. It's fun to follow. But some of them are incredibly annoying. And so Twitter tried to do a purge of these bots in 2018. And I spoke about these in episode 25 of The Local Maximum. And that's also around the time that they started getting uh, overly political in the United States, presumably putting their finger on the scales of the political messages that they themselves agreed with. So it's very easy to convince yourself that you're being neutral while you're doing this, which is uh, you know, exactly what they were doing. And now, in 2021, they've ratcheted up even further, in 2020 uh, specifically. And uh, the big one is actually banning COVID speech. So you know, people who say, what about people who say don't wear a mask or people who oppose government policy or the or the CDC or what the CDC has to say um, you know they're like well that clearly makes people unsafe uh, you know it's a it's a danger to public health so we got to get rid of those people and it's 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 kind of troubling to me because I get it if people like make stuff up about the virus and then they you know and and, and they tell people oh you know you know you should congregate you should um, I don't know, but I, not that I think even then they should be removed, but I'm just saying, like, I could see if people are giving advice that it's against public health, but then again, that's not really Twitter's job. But that's one thing. But then it's a whole other thing if you're opposing government policy uh, on uh, the coronavirus pandemic, because opposing government policy, it seems to me, just has to be allowed if you're going to have, like, a space for democratic debate, if that's what you're trying to do. And so if you say, nope, some government policies uh, just absolutely can't be opposed and we're going to have to take that down, uh, that gives up the whole game. That just kind of uh, rats you out as, no, you're not doing anything like what you said you were doing. Um, so, uh, you know, some examples of some accounts that were uh, removed, one account that was removed for uh, for COVID stuff, El Gato Malo. I, I don't remember what, the, I'll, I'll post it on localmaxradio.com slash 155. But um, uh, so he kind of argued with the narrative of of COVID-19 and about the data that was coming out. Another one is Michael Levitt. He is a, uh, he's a science professor at Stanford University. So pretty, you know, he has all of the, uh, 
all of the check marks checked. He underestimated the uh, COVID when it first came out, but you shouldn't be banned for having wrong predictions, especially since people who overestimated what COVID was going to do uh, were not banned. Uh, but I think he's being, sh- he wasn't banned from Twitter, but, he, but it looks like he's being shadow banned, is being shadow banned specifically for opposing the lockdowns because they don't want that message to get out. So remember in March, the CDC was wrong. The CDC said, don't wear a mask. And, you know, I was like, you know, I kind of said on this show, maybe I should wear a mask. And I remember Naomi Brockwell came on the show and she told me maybe I should consider wearing a mask. I don't know if that wouldn't have been allowed then because, uh, you know, the CDC was saying the the opposite thing and and Dr. Fauci was saying the opposite thing uh, then. So it's it's pretty crazy. It's pretty unreal that um, all this stuff is happening. Uh, All of this, remember, in terms of like uh, government policy versus, um, you know, versus incitement an interesting court case and again you know i don't i'm not a lawyer i didn't go to law school so i don't understand this but one of the uh, court cases that came to mind was one from 2007 and it's called uh, morse versus frederick and it's a uh, it's a, it's an easy case to remember because it was basically it was a high school kid at a at an event an outdoors event uh in uh, in alaska and he had a poster that said bong hits for jesus and he got suspended from school. So they said, well, you're promoting drug use, so that can get you suspended. And so the Supreme Court upheld the suspension ultimately, uh, but they were very specific about, you know, well, okay, first of all, is it like, you know, is it interrupting the the event itself? You know, you don't have a uh, complete free speech at, uh, at, at school events. Uh, but also they said it wasn't just a political uh, message. If it was a political message, it would have been covered under free speech, but it was um, encouragement of illegal drug use. And so encouragement of illegal drug use uh, can't be allowed, uh, but it would have been 100% protected speech maybe if he had just said legalize marijuana. Now, it's interesting that some of the liberals on the court and now I'll call them like actual liberals. Uh, they dissented. This is um, John Paul Stevens uh, wrote the dissent uh, because they wanted speech to be freer than that. And so he said, you know, this is a dangerous path to go down. He said, I'll quote, admittedly, some high school students, he said, including those who use drugs, are dumb. Most students, however, do not shed their brains at the schoolhouse gate, and most students know dumb advocacy when they see it. The notion that the message on this banner would actually persuade either the average person or even the dumbest one to change his or her behavior is most implausible. And he also said it's profoundly unwise to create special rules for speech about uh, drug and alcohol use. And I think they also pointed out that, um, uh, you know, that, um, uh, uh, you know, it's sort of fuzzy. It's It's in that fuzzy area that it's actually encouraging people uh, for uh, you know, encouraging people towards illegal drug use. All it said was bong hits for Jesus. So he kept it very vague, probably for a reason. Uh, but, you know, the, basically it said, if you're in that gray area, you don't want to um, uh, be able to be uh, punished for being in that gray area. So, you know, he said that's profoundly unwise. Uh, Justice uh, Ginsburg agreed with him. Um, you know, but, you know, they're both uh, not around anymore. They, You know, I think John Paul Stevens... Um, he retired soon after that, 
that decision, and I think he passed away a couple of years ago, and uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, last year, of course. So, um, yeah, those that way of thinking is is no longer around. So, okay, so Twitter is involved. So, basically, now uh, fast forward to twenty twenty one, you could censor whatever you want in the name of public health, and that's what uh, Twitter has done. Then, of course, they ban the president. They ban the New York Post for for writing an article that turned out to be true. Uh, so that is interesting. And um, now they're banning left-wing groups as well. It's not just conservatives or right-wing groups. You know, they, they banned a lot of Antifa accounts the other day after the inauguration riots. Uh, they, uh, you know, they banned some group in the UK. I, oh, no, 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 this was Facebook. Uh, interestingly enough, they didn't ban Antifa groups when they rioted previously, just now. But, um, you know, Facebook also censors left-wing views as well. They shut down the Socialist Workers' Party website in the UK. So it's not like Facebook is right-wing and Twitter is left-wing, though. They're all kind of the same people. So they they all kind of do this. It's just whatever... It it seems to be like whatever fits their interest or their narratives at the time or whoever they they need to be listening to or whoever they need to keep happening. So as I've said for... So so this is is all happening now. All right. So what... (laughs) So... I mean, I, eventually I want to get to, like, what do we want? Because, um, you know, why is this wrong and what do we want? Because I feel like a lot of people don't even get the basics of that these days. But as I've said for a while, I think this is kind of the inevitable outcome of Facebook and Twitter, this state of affairs, unless they change their philosophy and business model. I said that way back in episode uh, 7, back in 2018, and they failed to do that. They did not change their philosophy. They did not change their business model. They just kind of doubled down on what they were doing, and they showed no signs of stopping. So sometimes a bad idea that kind of works for some people, it sort of has to reach its logical conclusion before people start to move some to to somewhere else. And then maybe these um, you know huge tech monopolies that um, where everybody is a part of it that are, you know, they're not federated. They're just one company controlling it, controlling it all. Uh, maybe uh, people are starting to realize that doesn't work. So in other words, you really need to hit the, uh, the local maximum of, uh, of the tech stack and then milk. And then you have to wait for these companies to milk it for all it's worth and to go down the darkest path until you finally get something better. And so that's why I think, um, there was a, a diaspora, which was a decentralized Facebook. They created that in 2010. It didn't reach mass market because Facebook was still small enough. Facebook was revolutionary technology at the time. It was growing to satisfy its customers. And it really hadn't had the everyone on uh, one newsfeed uh, issue kind of tested to its logical conclusion, which takes time and scale, which they've reached over the last 10 years. In other words, in 2010, was there really a reason to switch off of Facebook when all of your friends were just joining Facebook? Maybe your parents just joined Facebook and, 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 and you know, people like that. And then it's just like, okay, uh, no, this is the time everyone's getting on Facebook and Facebook is new and Facebook is exciting. That's not really the time to jump over. The time to jump over is, you know, or maybe it was the time to jump over if, if you wanted a better outcome. But I, I think what has to happen is the uh, the centralized model of Facebook, since it's can move, you can actually move faster in terms of development, and uh, it's it's kind of simpler at the beginning. Um, it sort of has to. It, it, people have to feel the pain before they're going to start moving to something else. And people had not felt the pain enough in 2010. And so Facebook is basically going to be forced to inflict more and more pain on people because it is uh, because that's just how its business model 
works or, or how their uh, their way of thinking works, and it's just going to continue, and that's going to push development of alternative. So now we're getting uh, closer to um, alternatives, and that's why, as I said in episode one fifty three, again, it's putting market mark it's putting market pressure on things like um, I don't know, MeWe and Mastodon and and all that, and then locals. So in short, you know, they need a federated system where lo- where users have control. Um, that's sort of what Mastodon is trying to do. It was dias- Diaspora is trying to do. And some of these smaller ones, like, you know, Locals, which I'm on, which is not really the same sort of thing, but it's it's got, you know, very small local groups that are all moderated differently. But overall, you have the right to, uh, you know, say what you want on your group. So, again, I, I, I spoke a little bit about an episode system and how kind of a federated system within Facebook or within Twitter might work. They never implemented it obviously and then episode 153 more recently when i talked about you know mastodon as having the system and it'll be much more robust because it is um you know it it, it is uh decentralized and federated so there's the the governance is 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 split up among many different groups and the users have control although i still think the users can um can use a bit more control than that uh so all right so back to the main topic I was going to talk about, uh, I sometimes talk about alternative systems and business models as a way to get more open discussions where users have the most control. But, you know, why is this desirable? Why would we want to do this? Or in other words, you know, uh, why is this bad? I want to talk to someone, suppose that you're the one that, that, uh, Twitter likes you're you're going to be the last person censored by any of these companies. So w- what's in it for you? Why should you still want the most open discussion possible? Well, I mean, just a few thoughts off the top of my head. I mean, first we could look at a little field of study called uh, science. Yeah, all of science. And as most of you know, my preferred formulation of the scientific method is Bayesian inference and. One of the things that you want to do that's going to make it more likely that you're going to get to the truth is to have a wide range of hypotheses to consider. So where do these hypotheses come from? It comes from ideas. It comes from talking to people. It comes from open discussion. It comes from challenging the status quo. And guess what? Some people with horrendous or nonsensical views elsewhere might actually come up with a good hypothesis or someone who is not in the, you know, and someone who doesn't have the right credentials might come up with a good hypothesis that actually turns out to be um, a testable scientific theory that might actually um, lead to a breakthrough. So oftentimes, like, you know, if the field experts, the people who are establishment approved, only have a narrow set of hypotheses and they need someone from the outside to kind of bring in new ideas. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I shouldn't have to point this out, but most scientific theories were once on the outs. I mean, I could point to, you know, Galileo, um, you know, looking at, uh, looking at the solar system and being, uh, you know, uh, um, I, I believe he was put in jail. He was, uh, you know, he was, he was persecuted for that. You know, Einstein, there was like, you know, a, a list of a hundred scientists who came came out with a book that said Einstein is wrong and both actually had critics and 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 both Einstein and Galileo had people want to censor them that's just right off the right top of my head but this is true in uh in a lot of cases in history there there are probably dozens of them I, I you could probably do research and find dozens of them every century maybe not as dramatic but but still that's the case so and let's talk about a more practical side to this that's uh, not necessarily science, but it's still hypothesis testing. Um, 
And that's, you know, that's in business. That's in startups. In fact, every, I would argue, every startup idea is actually a rebellion against the establishment. And yes, even Facebook, even Facebook, when it was a started, startup, even when Zuckerberg started it, um, you know, and Thiel funded it, Thiel and Zuckerberg, uh, Peter Thiel and Mark Zuckerberg uh, could not be different in their political views, but they both found the same hypothesis uh, that, um, you know, a good way to start a global social network is to, you know, start linking together the universities and require that people, you know, use their real names and that they get uh, uh, checked. Um, so... Uh, and and it and it worked and it works because, you know, a few people were willing to think differently than what the industry experts were willing to say. It's true of Foursquare as well. You know, an obvious one is Tesla. Uh, I mean, I could think of, I could think of tons of companies, but I think any company has something. Any company that started and and was successful has uh, some kind of rebellion against the establishment narrative to it. And, you know, another one, uh, you know, and, and, and so that's um, that's kind of one thing that I consider. It's uh, the, the theme here is progress. You need open discussion for progress in society to improve, uh, you know, to improve information, to improve understanding, to improve the economy and to improve your life. So one thing that I studied is, you know, learning systems and recommender systems. And one of the idea is that you know, in order to learn, you have to get a little bit outside your comfort zone. So you need kind of a wide range of places to go, um, which means, you know, local localism is great. Local moderation is okay. You know, you, um, you, you pick an area that you want to learn and, you know, you, maybe you have a, a teacher who decides this is the scope of what you're going to learn. We're not going to go outside scope because sometimes if you go outside scope too quickly, you're going to get confused and you're not going to learn the core concepts and then you kind of uh, branch out from there. And so uh, that that would be the equivalent of moderation. But then there could be other courses that you could go to, other books that you could read, other things that you can learn, other websites that are, um, you know, that are a little different and you kind of connect them together. Like you might, you know, you might find something interesting, say, hey, this person is telling me something new. It either directly contradicts something that I learned before, but maybe what I learned before isn't making quite a lot of sense to me. So I'm going to read it. Or, you know, sometimes you might find something you're like, well, this is this is boring or this is just completely against uh completely nonsensical to me and maybe that's something that you won't read. So I think, um, you know, the difference between moderation and censorship, moderation is when you have a well-defined community and you d d determine what the scope is and censorship is when you say, I want all communities to, uh, to, to not be saying this. And so there's an actual phase shift when you say, well, this is a global forum with global rules and we're going to moderate what seems to be you know, political speech, ideas, maybe things that are in the gray area, you know, that's when it kind of has to be broken out local, localism style because that is the kind of stuff that, um, that I think uh, allows abuse by the moderators, by the people who are in charge. Um, so what are some of the concerns among people who are going really hard on the idea of, of censorship now, of... Uh, you know, being against uh, freedom of speech, basically. I know that, um, you know, allowing Twitter to moderate stuff is not the same as legal uh, freedom of speech, but I feel like um, there's a backlash against freedom of speech in this country as well. 
Um, I, you know, some people have used the ana analogy that like ideas can be mind viruses. I don't know if this is the best analogy, but let's go with it. And I guess that um, the uh, the uh, you know, and I, and I guess if you're calling it a virus, uh, you're you're probably assuming that it's a bad idea that's spreading. It's a harmful idea that's spreading and it's going to cause people to do horrible things and it's going to cause all these bad things to happen. Oh no, we have to stop the spread of information. So I guess uh, one way of looking at it is that um, mass censorship is kind of like the hard lockdown. If, if you support the hard lockdowns uh, for coronavirus or for the, for the COVID pandemic, why not support hard lockdowns for uh, the dissemination of ideas I don't like because, you know, they, they're viruses too. So uh, that's, um, and it will probably work equally well. I mean, the virus still spreads under the lockdown and the ideas still spread under the lockdowns. Um, you know, what are some alternative, what are some alternative uh, ideas in terms of this? I mean, one is herd immunity, uh, you know, so Hurt, and, and again, I don't know if this virus thing is the best analogy, but let's run with it for a second. You know, uh, herd immunity is that either through the vaccine or finding out that these ideas are bad, people in the long run will come to their senses and they'll learn things that um, that uh, contradict these harmful ideas. So in other words, let these ideas spread. And a lot of these ideas that spread quickly through a population don't last very long these days. It's, you know, they, they spread and then they burn out and they spread, they burn out. People's, you know, attention spans are very low. So, um, or uh, there's the vaccine, which is educate the public, fight speech you don't like with other speech and um, make sure that people are learning, make sure that people have good critical thinking skills, which is one of the things that, uh, I like to develop, um, and you know, I, I like to develop it here on the on the local maximum, and so uh, those would be much better solutions than lockdowns of uh, ideas that uh, that you don't like. And then of course, if we say you can lock down ideas you don't like, we're basically giving someone power to uh, decide who who listens to what, who sees what, who 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 learns what, and so that's um, not really compatible with. A free society, which uh, you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to feel like we live in a free society right now when you can't really go out and do anything. But hopefully, we'll get that back at some point. So again, I wonder if so. Again, I think my point there is I wonder if people who support censorship also support the most draconian lockdowns. Uh, I um, during the pandemic, I uh, I don't know if that's true. I would have to. Uh, look that up. So uh, those are some just uh, disjointed ideas. Let's see. Let me try to conclude this. Let me try to come to uh, come to an ending here. What happens when you censor? What happens when all the biggest companies collude to uh, prevent uh, ideas from getting forth? You know, as a society, you preclude progress. You freeze the current best ideas or what the establishment thinks are the best ideas. Okay, maybe they kind of work. And then as certain ideas and mindsets aren't challenged, those um, those ideas kind of become uh, worse and worse to the extreme. So, you know, if you look at something like the Soviet Union, uh, there was there were blocks on information that can go back and forth. And, and my understanding was that, like, yeah, they kind of froze in place all of the kind of racist ideas that existed in, in one decade. And then rather than those kind of falling out of favor due to free speech, 
um, you know, they, they were kind of frozen in place. Uh, so, you know, you, it's like, you know, oh, communism, everyone equal, whatever. But uh, then it ends up uh, it ends up being way worse. So I think just because you support freedom of speech doesn't mean that you have to not take care of your own information diet and just take everything in. You should take very good care of your own information diet. What am I reading? What am I listening to? What do I believe? What do I don't believe? Think very hard about that. Because if we have a uh, like, uh, if we have a group of people who think very hard about that, then it's going to be very unlikely you're going to get calls for mass censorship. But I think it's important to be in control for the individual to be in control of of what they see, or you know, you can't control every little thing, but who you outsource it to, and then periodically check in on them to see how they're doing. Like you know, what are some criticism, et cetera, et cetera. So you know, someone who is you know, that, that that stands in contrast to just kind of leaving it up to the government or to the majority to control your information diet or just believing whatever's popular uh, or just letting everything and every crazy idea in. I mean, those are people who kind of, you know, there are people who are kind of, a, you know, just believe everything they're supposed to believe. And there are people who believe everything someone tells them and they can go off the rails as well. Uh, so that's that that that's a problem. So take care of your own information diet, support free speech, um, you know, Constantly check the uh, the boundaries of what you believe. Look, like you know, read something that's interesting to you. I mean, that's if something's interesting to you, they're telling you something that you don't know, um, or that seems a little bit different than what you've heard before. But maybe you think there's a something that makes sense in there. So that 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 kind of is sometimes that's a good intuition um, for what to look at. Sometimes it's not, <laughs> depending on your your personality or your but. Um, you know, that goes into underfitting or overfitting. You know, you want to be very balanced there. You don't want to believe everything you're told. You want to be critical, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so I know those are a few disjointed thoughts on, on mass censorship and why, you know, I, I certainly don't like it. I think it leads to very bad outcomes. I think when you try to squash ideas, it doesn't even work. Those, If it's an idea whose time has come, then it always ends up coming to the forefront. Um, it, it's just kind of leads to maybe some temporary victories in the fog of war, uh, so to speak. And, um, and, uh, yeah, I hope that podcasting remains as free as possible. I hope that the internet remains as free as possible. And I'm looking to, uh, get involved with projects or investments that, uh, that, that, that do that. So anyway, I am glad that you chose to make the local maximum a part of your information diet. Next week, we're going to take a little turn from all this stuff, and we're going to talk about machine vision. We're going to learn about machine vision, so I am really excited about that, um, getting back to kind of my machine learning stuff. You know, what is, first of all, how does machine vision work, and, you know, what does it mean? What, what does it mean that, uh, you know, our computers can see, uh, uh, can, can recognize objects and recognize people? Is it just self-driving cars? Is it, what else? I have so many questions about that, so don't miss that. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support The Local Maximum, sign up for exclusive content and our online community at Maximum.Locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at LocalMaxRadio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power.